0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Agency Profit Podcast. I'm super excited to introduce you guys to a friend of mine who, uh, funny enough, was one of the first people that ever responded to one of my emails back when Pure Keto was just an idea and I was just a kid with a laptop sending out a bunch of emails. And then, full circle, about a year and a half later, we get to share a stage together in Austin, Texas, and reconnect uh, where Our guest shared some really powerful stuff on stage, things that a lot of people are not talking about, but I think is super important, and I'm excited for him to share it with you today. He runs an agency called Impact. They were founded in 2009, sorry, they are up to 70, 80 people today, have been the HubSpot Partner of the Year, the Digital Marketer Agency of the Year, Diamond HubSpot Partners. They won Best Culture. They won Best Place to Work. Best Place to Work for Women. Truly an amazing organization, and Bob, truly an amazing guy. So, Bob,
1: super excited to have him in the show. Welcome, Marcel. You did your research, man. Appreciate that, <laughs> and thank you for for such a great intro. And I'm honored to be on on your show today.
0: Awesome. Well, listen, just I'm honored to have you here as well. And I'm excited to get into a little bit of what you talked about, because I think it's going to be so valuable uh, for everyone that's listening at home. Uh, but before we get into that, you know, I've given everybody a little bit of the accolades, but uh, why don't you share a little bit more about, you know, who you are, and what you do, uh, so people can get a little more familiar.
1: Yeah, so so we're impact. Uh, we're a digital sales and marketing organization. Uh, you, you mentioned HubSpot. You know, that's that's obviously a big part of our growth is is through the HubSpot partner community. Uh, you know, our real big thing is that you know, we work with Marcus Sheridan. Uh, he's actually a, a partner of ours now. So really adopting what his philosophies of digital sales and marketing. Uh, they ask you answers the book, um, and, and so we're very much in the the education and training business. Um, I haven't always been in the, 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 uh, education consulting training business, but much more now, uh, teaching people how to do content marketing the right way that really drives revenue. Uh, and we've, we've been able to use the the philosophies that they ask you answer and it's proven time and time again to work, uh, getting people up and going with their HubSpot portals and then. Really, it's now also starting to do way more with video and helping people build cultures of video for sales and marketing inside the organization. So, that's really where we're specializing.
0: Awesome. Very cool. And, you know, one of the things that I always say about you guys, and and when I met your team, I said this to them in Austin I said, I love how you guys really walk the walk. Um, So, anybody that's listening, go over to Impact's website. I'll have it in the show notes. Like, their website is a blog. You guys are like, amazing at creating content. I know you told me that everybody at Impact has to write content. It's part of the job, no matter what their role is. Uh, and I think it's so cool that you've, you've built that culture and it just permeates uh, at Impact. And so naturally, you know, you help your clients kind of build hopefully the same kind of engine for content. But uh, what you guys have done is really incredible. You've got some incredible content
1: on the website. So thanks for walking the walk. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, content's been a huge part of our growth. Uh, when we were very small, seven people, and we started really drinking the Kool-Aid of Inbound and HubSpot and, and, and other companies that influenced us, and we saw they were all just cranking out content. So I think we kind of more blind faith than anything just went all in. And we said, okay, well, we, we you know, HubSpot's putting out three or four articles a day. Maybe we should do the same thing. And we really just try to mimic other brands like that, uh, put a full-time person on there said, okay, can you, you know, at least crank out um, five to ten articles per week? Uh, Absolutely, very early on, made a mandate. If you're going to work for this company, uh, you have to be part of our content creation efforts. And, you know, we started that in probably 2010, 2011. So here we are, you know, nine years later. And, you know, we have a website that generates a quarter million visitors per month. Uh, and, And that has, we haven't always been the best agency. I would be the first to admit that. we're a lot better now than we were maybe even three years ago. Uh, But having that powerful content engine has really helped us. It's given us the authority when we probably didn't deserve the authority. It gave us leads and business opportunities when we were probably losing business on the other end. And really, it was one of the most important things we've done to to make sure the company was stable and got us through some tough periods when we had to figure some other things out. Uh, Luckily, we did. Awesome, man. I mean, yeah, you guys have really done a tremendous job. So,
0: again, if you haven't seen uh, Impact's website, go see it. It's, uh, it's different than every other agency website I've seen. So, it's worth a look, uh, get some inspiration there. So, you talked a little bit um, about starting the business. And, uh, you know, I read you have got a great story on your LinkedIn profile where you talk about graduating from university, not getting any job offers. So, saying, screw it, I'm going to start my own agency. Um, how did Impact come to be?
1: Probably like most agencies start. I mean, I was working for a, a local manufacturing company in my hometown, uh, doing marketing for them. It was my first job out of school uh, because of – the guy who hired me it was my, my parents' neighbor. who was across the street from them. Uh, and, of course, this is you know, 2007, 2008. It wasn't the, the best time in the economy. So really was hard going finding a job back then um, for everybody. And so I struggled finding a job. I did that for a few years. Learned a lot at, at that organization. Uh, you know, took their website, got a bunch of uh, visitors for them, got a bunch of leads for them. Um, just again, reading whatever I can, trying. It was my, my my little project of can I help build this organization's brand and start really driving traffic leads. Once I started having some success there. My boss at the time started saying, hey, can you do this for some of my friends that have companies? So I, I was able to do some like freelance work on the side. I had about four or five really good freelance clients, got really passionate about it and said, you know, maybe I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll take this full time. So I just basically quit my job in 2009 and uh, became a, a, a freelancer, always thought I want to have employees. There was a, a company um, that was in my hometown, okay, and every town has like four or five agencies, all different sizes, different specialties. But there was this like three or four person company in my town. I was like, you know what? That's my next milestone. That's where I want to be. They got an office, they've got three or four employees and they've, they capitalized the market of small businesses in Wallingford, Connecticut. And I was like, you know, I want to just be in that field. So that was like the next benchmark for me. So I was just working on my office you know, I started hiring some people at very low salaries and interns again, back, this is back in 2009, 2010, um, when no one can get a job. So there was a lot of people were taking free internships, just trying to get their foot in the door somewhere. And, you know, things are different now, but that's, that was how we really got our start with getting some freelancer or uh, again, some interns. And, um, you know, it, it, going to twenty eleven we feel like we actually hit that milestone of okay that was the vision of like, can we be in this this category like this other company was I think our growth has always been looking at what's out there these competitors these brands saying if they're doing it why can't we and we usually set these like benchmarks for ourselves and that was the next benchmark so I would say probably about twenty eleven we we probably had five or six or seven employees we had an office um and and we started getting some pretty decent local clients, small, small to mid-sized business clients, but we built up a pretty stable business. And and that was like the the first marker for us.
0: So then after that happens, I heard a story about a lucky break. Well, I don't want to call it a lucky break. You earned it off course. Oh, we've had so many but, lucky uh, breaks. It was the there. infographic that you guys did with HubSpot that really blew up. This was when Pinterest was really coming of age and started driving a ton of traffic to your website. And it was a bit of a quick spike after that in growth. Talk a little bit more about how that happened.
1: Yeah. So in late 2011, this is like the next big thing for us. We started doing a lot of research. We're doing these websites and light marketing projects and clients were coming back to saying, hey listen we love our new website it's beautiful it's exactly what we wanted but we thought we would get more traffic or leads from it like we don't we're not really seeing the increase there is our website broken so we had to get better at that because that's what the market was telling us that's where our clients wanted so i you know i did a bunch of research online you know how to get more leads social media email marketing um you know how does this integrate sales? And time and time again, I landed on HubSpot's website. And to most people on, on, on this, listen to the show would know that if you've engaged with anything with HubSpot and their website, and you filled out any forms, you're going to get a call from them. And they're <laughs> yeah. going to try to, if you're an agency, they're going to try to get you into their partner program. So this guy, Kevin Linehan calls me up and, you know, he's like, listen, we, we know how to take companies like you and and turn them into million dollar, multi million dollar businesses. So that's all I needed to know because we were about doing $300,000 a year at the time. So that was kind of our next thing is like, how do we become, how do we make a million dollar business? Wouldn't it be cool if we had a million dollar business? And I believed them. And I just, that was like a one call close, signed up for the partner program. It was like, all right, cool. Now we're a inbound marketing agency. We're a HubSpot partner and Oh crap. What does any of that mean? <laughs> so <laughs> we had to start doing some research. We had to really start teaching ourselves. Okay. What is inbound marketing and how do you use it and how do you sell it for clients and how do you use HubSpot? And we basically being visual people, we just created like this this flow chart of like the inbound marketing process from start to finish. So we we showed it to our, our contacts at HubSpot and they said, you know, this is great. And if you make it more like an infographic, we'll we'll put it on our blog for you. And like you mentioned, you know, it's it was like this perfect storm of Infographics being hot, HubSpot being hot, in, uh, inbound marketing as a term being really hot, and Pinterest, and that thing like you, again, it's a, it's a huge lucky break. I mean, that thing took off. We got our first five like big retainer clients. Um, we became a million dollar business like almost overnight. It happened that fast. Now, could we service all that? Well, you know, we figured it out for a few of the accounts. We actually still have a few of those early clients who are still with us. Some of them aren't because we screwed it up, um, like we we do a lot. Um, but you know, we, we again we we just figured it out, and all of a sudden now we're a top tier HubSpot partner because we we sold some some deals really fast, able to ride that wave all the way to still till today, and it's been you know again a lucky break, but it was one of the most important things um, to our career. And, and I think there's still lessons to be learned from that. I mean, besides just being lucky, it's finding those opportunities, find because HubSpot was the hot thing back then. There's still an opportunity to come to the HubSpot market and do something different and, and capitalize on that market. It's not it's not completely monopolized or, or, or dried up yet, but you can find other communities like digital marketers partner program is just really getting off the ground. There's a huge opportunity to get into that. There's other software. There's drift that's building a partner network. So I think there's still lessons there. And then is there some way that you can, use content and today use video and and interactive components of your website to really put yourself thrust yourself as we are the leaders in this space um you know certainly i felt like a pretender very early on most certainly we were but that got us to where we are today so i don't I guess anyone that's listening to this, like, don't be afraid of being a pretender. We all are. We're all learning things together, and no one's got conversational marketing figured out. No one's got account-based marketing fully figured out. Some people will say they they do, and some people are really good at it, but there's still room for someone to come in and be the new leader, because these things are changing every single day. So I think that would be my advice is from that lesson, is just go for it. and Don't hold yourself back, because you don't think you're ready for it. That's, you know, if I, if we held ourselves back because we didn't think we were ready for it, we would still be a, a five person company. So. <laughs> yeah. And I mean,
0: I would have none, none of Paraquito would exist. I wouldn't have been on that stage in Austin. I think that's we great. all, we all doubt ourselves uh, for sure. That's, that's a great insight. Um, so
1: after, and, and, and on top of that, just to add one other thing, like you're going to stumble, you're going to fail, you're going to get in front of an audience you're going to sound like a, an idiot and that's going to happen. That's okay too, because the only, you need reps. That's the biggest thing is that anything that you do, you got to throw yourself out there, put the pressure on yourself and, and overcome that. And then the next time, don't make the same mistakes and learn from it. There's so many stories of like, like people that, you know, some people will just like let their company go out of business so they won't grow and they'll have a million reasons why it never happened for them. Then there are just other people who are like, listen, I'm not going to let this business go out of business. I'm going to go to the bank and go get a loan. And I'm going to look like an idiot the first time I go get a loan. They're going to say no. The second time I go, I'm going to be a little bit better, but they're still going to say no. And it might not be until try 55 that someone says yes. But along the way, every meeting that you had, you learned and you got better and you got better and you got better. You need those reps. And and just being aggressive and, and getting those reps as fast as you can is the best way to grow.
0: Definitely, 100%, man. So, for everyone that's listening at home that has that thing, everybody has that thing at all times. I've got that thing right now that you're like, eh, I should wait till I'm more ready. But, like, the truth is, it's probably time to do it right now and just light the fire under yourself and rise to the occasion.
1: And, you know, taking that principle too, like, even when we do things on our website or even stuff for clients' websites, I'd rather ship it, you know, broken. Then wait for it to be perfect to, to, until we launch it. Because what happens? What I've learned, and this is a, a principle I, I always follow, and try to convince our clients. This. They don't always like it, but it's the truth. If we wait for it to be perfect, it may never launch. It could be three months later before it launches, and we so much missed opportunity. When you launch something that's broken, all of a sudden there's a little bit of urgency to get it fixed. Not only so now you get it launched sooner, but then you get it fixed faster. And you're, you're you're a lot better for it. So whenever we launch things on the Impact's website, chances are the day we launch it, you're going to be able to find a ton of bugs. But now we're scrambling to make sure we get all those fixed and we learn from it and we get more feedback from, from our audience. And things just happen a lot faster for us because we do that. So, again, I'm not sure if that's a, a lesson that could be valuable to anybody, but that's just the way we operate here.
0: Well, I mean, that's certainly a principle, too, that I think, you know, in the software world, uh, you know, we're super familiar with that. That's the the whole concept of being lean and shipping stuff before it's ready and getting feedback. And it really, to your point, it forces um, essentialism in the way that we prioritize things. Like there is no more prioritizing things that are not actually important because now there's stakeholders involved. So definitely can have a big impact and make people move faster. So I want to dig a little bit more into uh, the story and lead into a little bit more of what kind of you talked about in Austin. So you guys started growing pretty fast, uh, but then eventually growth kind of slowed down and you know, you were in the 20 something employees range. And this is interesting to me because I, over the years, or I guess over the years, uh, over the year and a half that I've been doing this, speaking to a lot of agencies, there are very distinct, it seems like, stages of growth. And, you know, they're marked by specific challenges that a lot of agencies share. And so for you guys, one of those stages was kind of that t- mid 20s uh, stage. And I remember in Austin, you shared. Kind of looking back, what you realized was holding you back from growing at that time. And it was something that nobody really expected to hear. Um, so, what was the moment when you kind of realized this is what's going on here? This is why we're stuck. Do you want some free resources to help you measure and improve your profitability? If you do, then I want to tell you about our agency profitability toolkit, which you can grab absolutely free in the show notes or by heading to paraquito.com forward slash toolkit. It's packed with training videos, cheat sheets templates and all kinds of other great resources to help you start measuring and improving the essential metrics that are going to drive better profitability in your business. And it's helped thousands of other agencies around the world do the same. So I want to encourage you to go and grab a copy of that. And if you'd rather get in the fast lane and just have our team of experts guide you through the process of measuring and improving your profitability, then I want to encourage you to apply for a consultation at And With that, I want to thank you again for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the episode and I'll let you get back to it. What was the moment when you kind of realized this is what's going on here? This is why we're stuck.
1: Yeah. Um, and there's, there's so many things. I mean, at, at that stage of 25 people, there's so many things that, that can go wrong. There's so many reasons why we didn't grow. Um, Do did we always have the right people? Probably not. And that was something that we continuously had to work on getting the right people in the right seats, the wrong people off the bus, all that Jim Collins stuff. And most of the things that a lot of my principles come from from Jim Collins' Um, huge fan of his, um, you know, and there, there were things about culture and values. There's things about having the right visions. So we're all going the right direction. There's things about not being afraid to fire people. Um, that was a lot of like the challenge we had from 2013 to probably 2017, 2018. And then, and then, so that, that was like really Maybe the challenges between 18 to 30 people were were those types of things. And I've got a bunch of talks and a bunch of material on, on what, what got us through that part. But then we we, we got out of that. We we're at 30. We finally cracked that 3 million number that we were really trying to crack through or break through. And it's like, all right, how do we go from like 30 to 60, 70, 80, 90? Um, now, I want to just ca- you know put a little caveat here we're not growing just for growth sake like i don't want just, it's it's to me winning is not having the biggest agency the most money the most people um and that's not what motivates me it's not why i do it i'm not trying to tout that we are the best agency in this, this space i honestly do it so my people that have been with me for so long can grow in their careers and they don't feel like they have to leave the company to grow so that means i have individual contributors that want to become managers. I have managers that want to become directors. I have directors that want to become VPs and VPs that want to become C-levels. And I've got people that were so good, been so long that need to have equity and ownership at some level. So we grow for them. You know, I've got people that start as unpaid interns that make six figures. The only way we're going to be able to create those opportunities and those lives for our people is if the company grows. We have to grow because of that. Um, and everyone in the company, I think, understands that and they get that. And I think they know that our growth and why we're pushing for growth comes from from, from that. That's my biggest motivator. So um, so now, how are we going to get from that 30 to 60? Because, again, we're losing some good people because there's not places for them to go. and We've got to figure this out. I think it really hit me. There's a Jim Collins quote. I knew it for years, but it's like, do I want to be the genius with a thousand helpers? Is it is the Bob Ruffalo show or is it an organization that could thrive even without me? And we had some scary talks in, in like 2016, 2017. Like, what happened if I got hit by a bus? would this company survive or would everyone have to go find other jobs or our clients would go have to find other service providers and and consultants. And it's like, that's not good. That's not the company that I want to build. That's not where I want to be. So for me, it was like, I've got to build an organization. I've got to build a franchise. That's my biggest job is to build a company that will thrive for many, many years with or without me. And that was a big shift for me. And then when I looked at a lot of my peers and I looked at a lot of other agencies, It was like, you know what? There's a lot of, in this space, at companies of that size, agencies of that size, there's a lot that are genius with a thousand helpers. And they are the lead salesperson. They are the best marketer. They go to these events and all they care about is like learning new marketing tactics they can go back and impress their employees about how much they know, impress their clients about how much they know, get on podcasts to show how much they know, create content, whatever they have to do so they can build their personal brands and then have this agency that like all supports their personal brand. And that, that I think, is disastrous for a company that actually wants to grow and, and do what we're trying to do, create careers and create companies that can be around for a long time. So in Austin, I showed the analogy. It's like, do you want to be the superstar on the team? Or do you want to be the owner of the team and the franchise builder of the team? And then I showed this crazy graphic of Jerry Jones playing quarterback. And, and, that, and we think about that. It's like, why would Jerry Jones ever be on the field? That's ridiculous. His job is not to be the best football player. His job is to put the best field on the team and make sure that that team is successful. And when we make that shift that I no longer need to be the best marketing company, I no longer need to be the smartest one in the room. My job is to build the best company and all my learning, all my development, all my focus has to be on leadership and management and organ, you know, building great organizations. And once I made that shift, it's like now I'm building leaders that can run departments you know, my my thing is, like, the what and the why. We need to do this because of this. Your job is to figure it out. And, oh, my God, when people feel they're so, they're so much more empowered in their roles and they have the autonomy and they start to thrive because, like, wait, I make these decisions? I, I You're not telling me what to do? It's like, no, you're smart. I need you to figure it out. Do they stumble? Of course they do. I stumbled when I was in that role, and that's okay. But if they don't stumble now, they're never going to be able to take over the organization later. Um. Uh, so the, the amount of individual growth we've had because we've done this and then the, the company growth now, you know, um, I think you were a little, um, you may have sound a little bit better in the beginning. You said 70, 80. We're actually 65 right now. We, we do have plans to add more people. We, we do need to bring some more people on. Um, but, you know, I'm not selling. I'm not working with clients. I'm not strategizing for them. And quite frankly, my team would tell me, Bob, please don't. For, you know, you'll just screw things up. And they're absolutely right. You know, I, I've I don't know all the latest marketing tactics. Obviously, I'm involved in our own marketing, our own brand. That's important to me. But these guys need to be much better at that than I do. I need to know where the world's going. Obviously, I got to direct the organization. But at a super tactical level, I, I should be the one that knows how to fly around HubSpot or these these tools the best. They do. I just need to know this is what we should and could be doing other companies are doing it. Why aren't we? And if you can't do it, I'll well, get somebody else that can do it. I know that sounds harsh, but it's true. But at the same token, it's like, I hope you're motivated by that. You, this is all on you. I'm not going to tell you what to do. You need to own this and, and you need to deliver on it. So that's that's become our new philosophy. And um, I guess it's not really a new philosophy. It's just we're doing it a lot better than we did before. And we're not perfect at it. No, and that's the other thing. Like No business is perfect. No agency is perfect. You think you know our brand is pretty strong, I think, in in this space. But we we've got a lot of issues, just like any company. And I think we're just very vocal and transparent about them. But we're growing, and and we went from thirty to sixty people in eighteen months. So so you know it's it's embracing the messy and and just doing your best. And that's that's all I think our employees and our clients, everyone asks for. That was a long rant. Hopefully, that was valuable. So hopefully, there's something in there that people can take away.
0: <laughs> yeah, so absolutely. And if, if you're listening to this, wherever it is, you know, leave a comment uh, of what you got from this. If that resonated with you, uh, whether you know other people that are in that predicament, or if you yourself feel like you're kind of in that predicament where you're the linchpin in the organization, I can tell you from experience, uh, Bob, that when you said that on stage, I immediately thought of like a dozen people that I knew that were in that situation. One of which is, you know, a really close friend of mine, and it's like it's so frustrating when you can't really say this to them. Um, but they, you know, and I think, and this is an interesting question that I have for you, but it, which is really around what the most challenging part of that transition was. But I know for some people, and even myself in the past and other things that I've done, um, for them sometimes it's like too much of their identity is tied up with being important at work and you yeah. know, it, they don't have another outlet for that. Um, and so, that, you know, they, they have to be needed. Otherwise they don't feel valued. Um, and you know, it's, it's hard to watch somebody c- continuously sabotage their growth because they just need to feel important at work. Uh, when the reality is they could grow so much faster if they just let other people be important and swallow their pride. But you know, that's kind of my yeah. take on what I've seen and what I've experienced, but I'd, I'd be curious to know as you came to that realization and said, this is what I'm going to do.
1: What was the most challenging part about that? There are a lot of challenging parts. I think hiring is always tough. you know we've had people we were really excited about that didn't play out um, that That's really tough when um, you know letting people go is is always tough. you know that you know you, you get better at, but it's never easy. It's never easy that hurts um, i i but I think the most challenging thing is those moments where you, you do question yourself and you say, am I good enough? And I've had over the last few years, a lot of those moments, you know, can, can I actually do this? Am I actually that, you know, do I have the abilities to, to bring this to fruition? Um, You know, I, we've had leadership team meetings where we always score at the end of leadership team meetings. Like, you know, and we might be having a lot of challenges and we're trying to figure out some big things. My team will give a score. Like, yeah, I feel like we really moved the needle today. And so we've got eights and nines and tens. And I guys, you know, for you guys, I'll give you a 10 for me. I give myself a two. I'm like, I don't feel like I'm doing a good job right now. And I need to get better. Um, if, if we're really going to be where we need to be, I need to be a much better leader because I'm letting people down left and right right now. I think that was probably the most challenging part is just like, Really, can I do this? Um, and I'm sure everyone goes through that, whether they want to admit it or not. Um, but that that's always been like a challenge. And you no, know, I think right now we're feeling pretty good. We're, we're really riding a good wave right now, but there's going to be another ceiling. And then, you know, again, it's going to be like, whatever that ceiling is, I don't know where it's going to be. Maybe it's 10 million. I don't know. But like, are we going to be able to break through that? and that we're accomplishing things that few people want to have the opportunity to do. You know, we're very lucky that we even have the opportunity to do it, but you know, it's, it's going to be a different, different world for us when we get there. So um, I think that just the, the personal things are probably the most challenging. I I can totally resonate uh, with what you're saying. I think it comes
0: back kind of to what we talked about earlier, right? And it's like you're letting go of the things that you've been revered for in the past. You've had confidence in and you've always been the guy for and you're stepping into something that you need more reps at and you know, you're going to make mistakes at, and you've got to embrace that and do it in front of your whole team. That's got to be a challenge uh, to get up every day and put yourself in a situation where you're like, man,
1: I might screw this up. and My whole team might see it, but it's what you got to do. Yeah. Well, and luckily I, I just have the absolute best team. I'm so lucky I've have, I have people that have been with me for seven, eight years and, um, I wasn't always a, a good boss or a good leader. In fact, I was a really, really bad boss, really bad leader for the first five years, uh, probably more. i had to really work on, on myself, but they, they, they grinded it out with me and they, they showed up every day and brought their best every day. And, um, yeah you know, i I often wonder like if I had to do this all over again, could I do it again and then the first thing that always comes back to my my head is like I don't know if I could ever do it again without my team and i've I've got the best people and um so yeah, that's just there some more stuff in there
0: so uh, there's I'm sure a lot of people listening that are thinking you know maybe they feel like they're in that situation or they see the writing on the wall, and maybe they're approaching a size where you know they're struggling with these things what are you know some of the most important things that you, you think they could take away and, and work on uh, to make sure that they can avoid some of the mistakes and pitfalls that maybe you've run into
1: yeah yeah i would say the most important thing really at any size and you start this when it's just you and you really go all in even more when you start getting five six people i think it's the most important part is is really getting some of that um foundational Um, organizational type things going. So think like EOS or Rockefeller Habits or, you know, scaling up. Um, And and EOS was really important for us. And I would say all those basic things like what is the purpose of this organization and knowing what that is. So everyone in the company can say, say, like, this is why we exist. Uh, Having a vision like and i love three year visions that's one of the most important things we've ever done we've we've done a few, few three year visions now and saying okay in 3 years this is exactly what this organization looks like if everything went exactly the way we wanted it to go because then what you do is you give your entire team an end zone and they all know okay this is what we're moving the ball towards this is where we're trying to go and every decision every micro decision everything can be based around ending up there and once we put that vision in place, um, we make all of our decisions off of that. Like, should we acquire this company or not? Should we invest in this project or invest in this company or not? Should we adopt this tool uh, or not? And, and we always use the, the, the vision. Um, and the best way to create a vision, if you're a single person, you just do that one activity. I said. What does this company look like at the end of three years? And write it all down. Once you start having employees, you get it out of your head, but you have a really, really open conversation to get them involved in that process. Uh, when you have a small team, it's even better because they can start putting more things in there you weren't even thinking about. And Once they have things in that vision, they own the vision. They're going to be as passionate seeing that through as you will be. Once you get to a bigger organization, you just got to do this in stages and really roll this out. So that, Again, the whole company has got to feel like they have a say in it. Um, but that, That's been one of the most important tools. Core values are extremely important once you get to a certain size. Again, I think that's core values are great to start rolling out. Once you've had some employees and you really say, okay, now we know the differences between a successful employee and a not successful employee in this environment, and then you build your your core values around that. So you don't have to create those too early, but once you get to a certain size, that's important. And Be willing to hire, promote, and fire off those core values. Um, I would also say transparency is incredibly important uh, and I showed in, in Austin how, how we're extremely transparent with our decisions and our financials um, and I'll give you a really interesting story so we, we do what's called the the great game of business it's open book management some people think they do open book management because they show financial reports to their company but that's, finan- that's open book reporting, not management. Management means that you can manage to it. You can actually do something with it and impact and, and those numbers before it's too late. So every single week, we go through a, a combination of a scorecard and financial metrics of what we're doing for this current month. We do it early so we can change the numbers and, and do things to make the numbers go into the direction we want to go into. Um, so, 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 we do this, um, and we were looking at our revenue numbers, and everyone kind of gave their forecast for what the different teams would be pulling in for revenue, we were way off, like I'm talking like a hundred thousand dollars on the month off plan, and it was scary. It was amazing watching how this organization slightly driven by me, but definitely it was an organization coming together saying, "We can't let the month end at this; it's gonna impact." What we're trying to do as a company, our growth is going to impact, you know, our, our bonus, um, which is a small portion of the decision, but they know hey, it was, we have a plan. We got to hit plan. What are we going to do about this? So just being that transparent and watching the company know they think come together the next week, watching the gap, they closed. And had we not been that transparent with everyone, they didn't understand why they didn't see how it was actually the bottom line and know how that affects our growth in our careers they would have been like we don't get it we don't know all you care about is revenue and at the end of the month we would have had a really really bad month but now we're going to end up having a good month because the team rallied together they got they understood it so i think once you start getting to a certain size and i would say once you get to i think early I, mean, I think at any size you should make sure everyone's financially literate you're as transparent as possible they understand your decision making as much as possible but then start rolling out like the, something like the great game and I, that was a game changer for us, an absolute game changer as well. Um, now, at the last, because you asked for three, and I'll say the third thing I would add in is once you get to a certain size and you start doing things well, you're going to realize that we also do certain things not well, and then find creative ways to build your organization through mergers and acquisitions. Um, and that was, that was huge for us as well. So I, I told you we had a really good brand. We had a good marketing. We had a good culture. We had great people. We didn't have a great product. We didn't have great playbooks. There was also th- services that we knew we needed to offer that we never offered before. And we also need just more talent to be able to do what we were doing. So knowing those things, we went out and strategically did for um, mergers and acquisitions uh, when we, we built up a whole paid channel because of that, we brought in some amazing talent, my head of marketing, my head of my web team, my, my, uh, design manager, um, and, and our top content strategists all came from one company. Um, and then the biggest one was when we merged with, with Marcus Sheridan's company, because he had such a superior product. He had the best case studies in this entire space. And I was so jealous of that. Um, and I was like, you know what? We got we got so much good stuff going on. Like we need to find a way to work together. And it worked out for Marcus because he got, you know, to do what he wanted to do with his career. So it was a great opportunity for him. We got all his playbooks, we got some of this great talent, and now we're rolling that out. What he was doing with a four person company for a dozen clients. Now we're doing it at scale with sixty five employees for hundreds of clients. And that it was that shift of the product to be much more consultative, um, and we're, we have a much better product now than we had um, ever before. So I'm, I'm super, super excited about that. So so that would be the third one. So once you get to a certain size, I would say once you're in your 20s, you know, no one. chances are if you grew an agency like I did, it's not like you have millions of dollars sitting in the bank to go acquire agencies, but I think there's a lot of creativity that goes into it. And you could really find some amazing opportunities if you could really get creative about it.
0: Awesome. So, just to recap, you talked about a couple of things early on making sure that you've got some systems in place around how you operate. So this is entrepreneurial, uh, entrepreneurial operating system stuff. Uh, you know, Look at the principles from Jim Collins. I'm gonna leave some notes down below, by the way, guys, so you can find these resources. Um, making sure you got a vision mapped out fairly early on. And if you've got a team, making sure that they're engaged in that. I love the part about being open with the team. Um, great game of business is obviously a great resource that'll also be down below. But and this is something that we've started talking about a lot at Paracudos. How can you know we help? enable those kinds of conversations in agencies because the people that do it I've never seen teams so empowered when they can actually not only go and do their jobs with a lot of autonomy but they actually have access to the information they need to have a feedback loop that doesn't depend on you know a cadence with a manager or something like that so that's awesome and then finally uh, looking at opportunities for mergers and acquisitions to take the business to the next level yeah I think those would be three good things so, if you guys are listening and you want to check out some of the stuff that uh, was mentioned, just head into the show notes, and I'll have some links there for that. So, last but not least, if you're listening and you want to connect with Bob, where should they go? What's the best place to reach you?
1: The best thing—I'll I'll be honest—is is our Facebook community, uh, Impact Elite. So, it's a Facebook group. Go ahead and, and take a look for it. Uh, I, hop, I hang out in there a lot. Uh, we have a, our whole team is in there. So, and, and as transparent as I try to be and all these interviews or wherever on stage, my team is as transparent. Um, if you want to call BS on anything I said today, go ahead and ask my team, <laughs> you know, and, and, and they'll, they'll tell it real. So, so I think that's a great place for, for all agencies to hang out for, um, for staff members to hang out for, for, you know, cause my whole team's in there as well. Our clients are in there. It's just a great place to, to hang out and um, feel free to ping me in there. Awesome. So I'll
0: leave a link to that Facebook group as well. In the show notes, make sure you check it out. Uh, and hopefully you'll be talking about your impact live events in there as well. Uh, for those of you that are listening that aren't aware, impact uh, hosts live events and lots of agencies go to those. It's cool because like, you're still competing with agencies, but you you have a great attitude, I think, towards competition. You're really just trying to help everybody move more successful. So
1: and 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 you know what we we, we've always questioned that like should we allow agencies into impact elite should we allow them to come to impact live and then going back to like that that alignment of the organization our purpose is to help people in the organization succeed and nowhere does it say unless you're a competitor you know if i can help agencies grow i'm going to do that if i the lessons i've learned we're going to do that so so be part of impact elite come to impact live and like listen if 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 our clients are there and the agency's like, Oh, I'm going to like use that as an opportunity to steal your, steal your clients. Like that just means I got to get better. Our company needs to be better. If our clients are going to be that willing to just, like leave like that. So, so we're, we're, you know, we, we try to not again, in the spirit of transparency and helpfulness and, and um, we just put it all out there and um, yeah, we're not, we're not worried about competitors. It's, it's coopetition. So there you have it guys. Uh, If you're
0: listening, go to impact elite and you can steal all of impacts clients. (laughs) Um, So with that, I want to just kind of wrap things up and thank you again for coming on the show. It's always awesome to talk to you. Always so insightful. Uh, My pleasure, bud. Knowledge and experience. And, uh, it's just great to, to follow the journey. So those of you that are listening, make sure you leave a comment, send us a message, let, you, let us know uh, what you got from this episode and share it with somebody if you feel like there's something in here that they need to hear to bring their business to the next level. And uh, thanks again for being here, Bob. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Well, that's all for today's episode. Be sure to subscribe to the show if you wanna make sure to be kept up to date when we release a new show. And of course, check out parakeeto.com if you wanna dive deeper into our library of resources to improve your profitability, including our free agency profitability toolkit. And of course, if you got some value from today's episode and you think somebody else might benefit from hearing it, be sure to share it with them or leave us a review. All of those things help us impact more agency owners. So with that, thanks again for tuning in and I'll see you on the next episode.